Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, March 16th, 2018. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Gabby, Erica, Tiffany, and Elliot. Hey, Hello. Hello. Hey. Hello. So we're starting an hour late, quote unquote, today because the Europeans haven't figured out that you're supposed to arbitrarily change your time around. <laughs> <laughs> Obama changed it, man. Yeah. <laughs> we were perfectly fine before until Obama changed it. Yeah. He's such no, a jerk. The Americans figured out the right way. You guys should do it that way. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> so uh, today. Our topic is, uh, is anybody home? Dissociation and uh, I forgot what the title is. <laughs> so, yeah, we just wanted to talk about dissociation. Uh, it, you know, we might hear the term now and then. Uh, also, not the same as disassociation. Right. Dissociation made that, that mix up quite a bit. Uh, dissociation is like daydreaming, uh, watching movies, playing games, even reading and meditation. So dissociation, what we wanted to talk about is it's not necessarily a bad thing. It certainly can be. It can be extremely bad, but it can also be good and even extremely beneficial, depending on when and how you do it. Um, so, you know, it ranges from mild forms of disengagement uh, to more severe detachment, uh, like, a, you know, psychological trauma, things like that. Um, <clears throat> but even talking about, like, addiction to, uh, you know, media or doing a certain activity, Anything that's, you know, unhealthy, I guess, is not in moderation, right, depending on the context. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we want to talk about. Uh, so disassociation is to distance yeah. yourself from somebody or something in yeah. order to mm-hmm. not, I don't know, Associate. bear there. Yeah. Yeah. Be associated so, with that person. <laughs> yeah. So what we're the trying to do, that I think, person is, is yourself. <laughs> oh. It's probably Gabby's not the best deep. thing to disassociate <laughs> from yourself. <laughs> no, we want to disassociate from negative dissociation. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> I guess I'll confess first. I have a, a, a PhD, multiple PhDs in negative dissociation. <laughs> Tell us all about it. <laughs> so I have taken it all the way to having a, a, a multiple full cases of burned movies in my mm. movie pirating days, which is beyond the statute of Legally. So it was more than seven years ago. <clears throat> Legal pirating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one was harmed. <laughs> Blockbuster is no longer in business. So. <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, it, uh, for many years I've watched a lot of films, but I also read books uh, but and, and listen to podcasts. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. Like uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of like what I because I work at home, I work on the computer. A lot of times it's easy to do that and put something on and do your work. But then, of course, you have to concentrate, you have to turn it off. And so it becomes, at a certain point, it becomes a thing that you kind of have to manage. Um, <clears throat> but I have taken it to the unhealthy extreme at times of setting aside work or setting aside obligations in order to dissociate because that was Mm. more comfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I try to recognize that now, uh, certainly don't succeed all the time, but I also still really like entertainment and that's, that's more complex than it sounds on the surface. 
and I'd love to get into it, but I don't want to talk about me the whole time. Uh, well, I, I so what about you guys? You necessarily have to make a confessional like you're so guilty of the socially. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is something that all human beings do. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's built into us. We have yeah. to have some way of getting outside of ourselves in order to, I think maybe at one of its bases is that it's a way to empathize with other people. Sure. You have to wow. be able to put yourself into their shoes. Sure. To a certain I don't know. Extent. Maybe we should define dissociation because I don't think yeah, of no. dissociation that way. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of dissociation like through uh, watching a movie or reading a book or hearing a mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to step outside of yourself in order to. Uh, uh, what do you? How do you call? It? I guess empathize, empathize with the character that's mm-hmm. in the story. Yeah. Well, I think that's one form of dissociation, mm-hmm. but I usually think of dissociation. I think that humans actually spend most. Maybe not most, but a, a significant amount of their time dissociated. You know, children. it's kind of like, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it's any time like somebody, like you know, if you're in the middle of a conversation, somebody says something that kind of triggers a memory for you, and you kind of like go into that for a second, and then you come back out. It's like that's a dissociation, right? It's kind of like whenever you're not fully cognizant of what's in front of you and what you're doing at that point, like while you're driving or something like that. It's like your mind starts going off into all these different places while your body just manages to stay on the road miraculously mm-hmm. um I think, totally, yeah. it, I think that's a key concept like maybe we should define the upper side of dissociation as well so we have a better idea of what we're talking about i would think mm-hmm. about the upper side of dissociation is being embodied like mm-hmm. you can feel mm-hmm. literally the ground underneath your feet you know mm-hmm. the chair where you're sitting the basically like there's no veil of uh, veil of fogginess or anything between you and whatever stands in front of you. What do you guys mm-hmm. think? I think those yeah. moments are fleeting, though. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that as well. Whatever yeah, I mean, when you think about it, like how often are you kind of aware of like your weight on your feet or in your chair or something like that? Like how often do you actually kind of come to yourself and be like, oh, I'm here right now? Like, like you know, never. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that's I mean, exercises of grounding. Yeah, grounding. Exactly. What we're talking about is something that people spend their entire lives trying to achieve. It's like one of the main goals mm-hmm. of of uh, human existence is to be mindful in a consistent way. So I don't know mm-hmm. if we need to take it all the way that way right away, because it's mm-hmm. like you know, it, 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 that's I think constant, actual, consistent mindfulness is possible. But you're talking about somebody who's worked at it for many many years enlightened um, beings have well maybe not even enlightened but just focused right i mean there are people yeah. who i who i see who i consider have that quality but there are very very few of them um so i think like <clears throat> that sh- sure that should be a goal uh but I, I guess i'm just trying to put it in context if you don't mind let me do the the wiki here on dissociation um this is commonly displayed on a continuum in mild cases, dissociation can be regarded as a coping mechanism or defense mechanisms in seeking to master, minimize, or tolerate stress, including boredom or conflict. At the non-pathological end of the continuum, dissociation describes common events such as daydreaming. Further along the continuum are non-pathological altered states of consciousness. So I think that's the key is that it, it says it's, uh, 
involves a general detachment from reality rather than a loss of reality as in psychosis. Mm. So psychosis being something entirely different, this is a temporary detachment. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I think in some cases that's appropriate. I mean, if you were, in order to be fully focused and mindful and present for every second of every day that you're awake, you have to have an extremely high distress tolerance. Because yeah. during, you know what I mean? During those times, you're going to run into stuff that you kind of, <clears throat> a normal person would have to dissociate from for a moment, mm-hmm. for a minute, for two or three, five minutes. But to be mindful through all of that, you really have to be a, a very strong psychological person. Mm-hmm. But yeah. not only, or not, not necessarily that, maybe we are just meant to dissociate. Like it's an innate capability. Mm-hmm. And it, can have, it can be hijacked for negative purposes or it can be used positively. Yeah, well, I think it's I a mean, survival think... mechanism too, learned in yeah. childhood. I think well, it's even... also like I was even... thinking that. Like, have you heard about like you know when um, they say like when an animal is caught by a predator, right? Like it's taken down, and they say that the animal at that point, although it's still alive and basically being eaten, it's kind of it's not there anymore. You know, it's kind of like a uh, a mechanism so that it doesn't suffer the absolute horror of being eaten, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's kind of like this kind of innate thing that's kind of built into um, animals and us as well mm-hmm. for kind of being able to pull out of extremely stressful or traumatizing situations. And I don't sure, even really. think that is necessarily necessary for it to be just useful in traumatic experiences like mm-hmm. if you look at a child who's playing or a group of kids playing and you know maybe they're playing make-believe cowboys and indians or something like that like kids dissociate a lot mm-hmm. even in non-traumatic situations i think it's a way for them to learn that's true mm-hmm. yeah even it's, periods it's, of, it's, like it's high, of like high go ahead elliot, go ahead, elliot. sorry i was just gonna say i i agree with tiffa you know, could could imagination be classed as some form of dissociation? Because technically, what you're doing is you're taking your um, whatever you want to call it, consciousness or whatever, and you're taking it to a place that is in your mind that you have fabricated, that you've created. Uh, you know, an imaginary scenario, um, and can that can that also be beneficial you know uh, I'm, I'm sure many of the great discoveries throughout history um may have may have stemmed from some sort of dissociative process i sure. think that's very true i think sure. that in in times of high concentration on a task in a sense that is dissociative you know like when you're really working on something and the whole world around you kind of disappears And it's like, you know, somebody could be calling you on the phone or knocking on the door and you're just not there. You're like, you're so focused on your task. I think, I mean, that's definitely a a form of dissociation. The state of flow, they call it. Yeah, that's where you get really, really granular. Like if dissociation is a detachment from reality, but I I mean, if you're focused on a task, is that task not then reality? I mean, it's something that you're doing. So, but I see what you're saying. Like somebody could come up from behind you and crack you with a pipe. And he wouldn't want to do it right there. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it, it has to be with, um... necessary. Like, if you're going to create something that doesn't exist or doesn't exist for you at least, like a project, whether it be art or some woodworking or sewing or anything like that, you want to bring something into existence, you need to imagine it 
beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe. Gurdjieff, the... Oh, sorry, Gabby, go ahead. Well, then, maybe people have this ability to dissociate because it is like a faculty that enables, you know, people to access other realities, you know, that can, that are real. That's a possibility. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah pos- but, possible I mean, realities that could be brought into into this or manifested. Mm. Yeah, Gurdjieff, the uh, the Russian philosopher, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of, but if you're not, check out uh, G.I. Gurdjieff. Uh, there's a lot there. But uh, mm. he uh, he talks about the wrong use of imagination, right, which implies that there's a right use of imagination. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, that that is associated with, like, planning. Like, if I'm planning out, uh, I don't know, something I'm going to do or something I'm going to build in the house or even like how my day is going to go, where am I going to end up around six o'clock? Of course, everything is, you know, fluid. But when you come up with a plan and you're strategizing, well, if if person A does this, then I have to do X. And if they don't, then I have to do Y. And that gives me X or Y after that. And you're like mapping out the near future. Uh, you know, that's a use of imagination. You're completely disconnected. None of this has happened yet and it's not real. So it's like, is that positive or negative? Well, I mean, you're using it to a positive end, I think, to be more efficient, mm-hmm. right? But it's like, yeah, it's it's nuanced. Now, if I started to stress about whether or not person A is going to say yes or no to whatever, then I'm beginning to use it wrongly because I'm stressed and I'm uh, negatively tied in with my imagination about what nothing, something that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Would you describe it as ruminating? Sure. Yeah. Mm, no, not really. In that case, what I'm pr- referring to specifically is stressing, mm-hmm. uh, like worrying. I, ruminating, I think of as being like productive, or like really, like ru- yeah, ruminating. Uh-huh. Like you're gonna end up at. So if I'm approaching a problem, sometimes I'll detach from it and think very broadly and like esoterically, and not what if I were to say what I was thinking out loud, it would make no sense at all. But then it comes uh-huh. back around to a solution. That's what I think of as ruminating. Oh, but, you know, I think of ruminating as just kind of turning <laughs> your wheels, like just spinning the negative wheels. Okay. Of, you know, yeah, that, that's what I think of yeah. as ruminating anyway. Like yeah, it's kind of consider like, it a more intense and prolonged form of worrying. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> gotcha. Worrying. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, in that context, then, yeah, um, that's how I would call that. Can we say that dissociation is maybe the opposite of self-awareness? I don't know, because, like, mm. if I, I think... To it, a degree, maybe. Well, we can argue about this, but I think that it's possible to be aware that you are dissociating. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. But then, the but then are the, yeah, all the, all the two not... Um, exclusive of one another because doesn't the doesn't the the definition of dissociation uh, denote the lack of self awareness? That's what well, I would think. Yeah, that, and I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent. I think that what I'm saying is true. I would like to like explore it because it's like if you sit down, let's say a hundred percent, you have like focused all day. You've done a lot of work, and you're going to watch a movie. And you're like, okay, you know, I, whatever, quote unquote, deserve this time, or I'm going to take this time to relax. And you consciously go into a state of dissociation. So 
it's like in that moment, granted, if you want to get really super granular, when you are dissociated, you're not aware, but it's like you go yeah. into it being aware that it is what's happening. And if you do come out of it to say, pause the movie and go to the bathroom or whatever, you're like, I'm engaged in a positive dissociative activity. You may not think those words, but that awareness is there of what you're doing. Um, yeah. That's not always I'm not saying case, you but, can't come out of it, but I'm just yeah. thinking that while you are actually watching that movie and you're kind of fully engaged and you know everything around you disappears, you're not thinking about work, you're not thinking about wife totally. and kids or whatever, I would say that that's a dissociative state and that it does lack a, a, like a self-awareness. I agree. Mm. I totally agree with that. There. I still say to a degree. Like I don't know who brought this up earlier, but you know when you're driving somewhere and it's a familiar route – and you're maybe listening to music or something, and you get to your exit and you have no idea how you got there, I say that you are dissociated during that time, but you're not completely unaware of your surroundings. Unless you miss your house or your stop, and then... If you are completely (laughs) unaware, you lose control of the car. (laughs) So to Mm. a certain degree, you're less aware, I think. Like, um, for example, like when I used to jog, I put on the headphones and, you know, go to the park and start running. And listening to the music, I would, you know, start thinking of myself maybe singing the song or playing an instrument on the song. And it was just a way to keep my mind occupied while I did the drudgery of of jogging. But I knew I was dissociating and I knew that that's the zone that I got into when I jogged every day. Well, I think that, okay. I mean, there is certainly a spectrum of dissociation, like there's a, you know, more or less self-awareness. But I think that also humans seem to have the ability to kind of mentally dissociate while their body can accomplish tasks or do whatever it needs to do at the time, even though the brain doesn't have to be present whatsoever. Like the, the, the example of driving is a good one because I think everybody can relate to that as long as they drive, that while you're driving it's like you know you could be having a conversation you could be daydreaming you could be doing you know listen singing along to the radio or whatever and you're not necessarily really concentrating like using all your brain power on your driving yet you know your body knows this is what i need to do i've got my hands on the wheel i've got my foot on the gas etc etc and it just kind of seems to go through those motions even though you're you know not necessarily concentrating on that fact and I do, yeah, I do think that that can be a dangerous thing, but well, I, 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 go ahead. Not necessarily like it is the realm of the autonomic nervous system. Like when even you know system one and system two, system mm-hmm. two running mostly automatically. You know there are lots of things that we can be that we get done just by you know allowing our autonomic processes to take care of everything. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pat- just pattern recognition, simple pattern recognition, saying that, say, for instance, in the context of driving, I think a lot of that is um, is simply just detecting patterns. Okay, this car is, this isn't something that your brain would consciously have to go through, it'd just be your autonomic nervous system, and I guess the uh, the subtle, deep parts of your of your brain, uh, are like detecting when there are changes, and then, and then... Um, Ooh. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's, it's instinct, right? I mean, instinct comes into play. So there's got to be some kind of connection there between instinct and dissociation. Uh, I think there, as like neuro- neurologically speaking, there is, you know, 
conscious awareness and unconscious awareness, or what we generally know, like I said, system one, system two. System one being like where you have to do like a mathematical equation that requires effort, you're engaging your system one, and your system two is more like automatic, you know, like driving, you know, you do that automatically, it comes like, you know, natural, you don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to dissociation, yeah, it's like it like overlaps between those two concepts, you know, or, you know, you can make them work, you know, differently or hmm. towards a, uh, an, an, an aim that can be negative or positive depending on the dissociation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if we get back to Jonathan's definition that he gave and just consider it as being on a spectrum, from mm-hmm. things that are not so harmful to complete detachment from your body, say from being in a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. But can yeah, you I mean, imagine she- like how awful it would be if you were fully aware of everything that was around you and everything that you were doing and all the sensations in your body all the time? I think that that would be pretty terrible it would overload your emotional and physical nervous system yeah well that's that's autism isn't it i mean that's what autistic people experience a lot of them is a uh, Mm -hmm. sensory overload it's almost like a hyper awareness which is why they have to then i think you know withdraw from that i think even if you're not autistic there's something in you that has to withdraw and just veg out for a little while in order to recharge your batteries in a way Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think that's totally appropriate, you know. And I mean, <clears throat> we're talking about like forced dissociation in a different, like in the context of trauma. I would think of like shock mm-hmm. as being a form of that, where your body just goes, "Yep, the brain can't do this right now," you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I guess uh, exploring. The idea of uh, entertainment, I'm curious yeah. I, what you guys think about that. Like um, what we were kind of chatting about before the show, like I think we can all agree that there is redeeming entertainment. We don't need to get so meta that we wonder if that's actually true or not. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, somebody might argue that there's not, there's no redeeming entertainment. I disagree personally. But, yeah. you know, <clears throat> it's uh, it's hard to suss out. And I think it's also different for everyone. Um, you know, for some people, I think maybe say like the walking dead is, is a redeeming story. And for other people, it's absolutely horrifying and they wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's different contexts there. Uh, yeah. for me, I, I like things that, that make me, uh, you know, think, uh, about whatever the topic is and kind of go down a rabbit hole thinking yeah. about whatever, you know, is the, uh, the subject at hand. I don't like uh, <clears throat> airy fairy things, but that I do sometimes, you know, every once in a while, it's like, you just want like something popcorn, like just put it on. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, not all the time, but that does happen. So it's like, you know, and I'm not trying to argue that that kind of stuff is redeeming, but then I think there are like pearls from swine kind of situations too, where you can draw out the redeeming values. Uh, is it worth the effort? Well, you know, sometimes yeah. yes, sometimes no, I, I don't know. It's a complicated thing. Well, even if, it- something that you're watching has no value that most people would agree on. If you can discern what is valueless about it, maybe 
you've learned something and maybe it's not so negative after all. Yeah. Well, there have been shows like that I've tried to watch in the past, like say there's one about lawyers in New York and you're like, uh, high intrigue. Okay. So you start watching it and you realize it's about glorifying assholes. And it's like, why am I, you know, what's happening here? Uh, I don't resonate with any of this. Um, so yeah, that does happen too. He's, like it's always that, sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sometimes the lesson is that it's not worth my time. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And that and that, <clears throat> that that got me into a not not really heated, a semi heated discussion with a friend of mine about the most recent season of The Walking Dead, which I have not yet watched and not sure that I want to, because mm-hmm. it's like you know, sad shit happens in life normally do I need to subject myself to a story that's about something that's so tragic I have a hard time dealing with it mm. you know is that really necessary because those things happen in my life and I and yeah, I'm, fly, I'm, I'm fine you know, <laughs> yeah no where, you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah I mean death loss tragedy you know things like that sure. and you, like I'm not so this sounds weird but I'm I'm fine quote unquote with dealing with those things when they're a part of reality because that's reality bad things happen you know but i choose what to entertain myself with so you know is it you know i don't know because it like the when we were talking about this the response was kind of like was sad story you know oh the story's too sad for you like you can't you know you can't like look at it you have to look away and like no that's not it's like do i want to look and then that's the kind of the discussion that we got into about it. Mm-hmm. For me, retrospectively, I think the movies or TV shows that were most helpful in that, you know, for positive dissociation involved like interpersonal relationships, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, just seeing the, the dynamics, the, the bad guys, the good guys, the hero, the heroine, and how it all evolves. You know, it teaches you a lot about, you know, interpersonal relationships those are my favorite yeah yeah i i um i never used to have this kind of perspective about these things i used to feel a little bit black and white about it but um i've I've come to learn that they that these say if you're watching some sort of series or a particular movie um that it can really be quite beneficial to attempt to place yourself into the the character's um, position and think about what you would do in that situation and and what situations you have experienced that are similar to that. Or if you've never experienced anything like that, then it can be helpful to almost prepare yourself for if you were to experience that in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like potentially learning the lessons of the character's without necessarily having to go through the experience itself. Uh, And I'm not sure whether that's entirely possible. Like, okay, if you see on a movie that someone, that the main character's loved one die, and then your loved one die, um, you're still going to go through that whole experience. Uh, Maybe that wasn't a very good example, but what I'm trying to say is that I, I feel like um, sometimes it can be beneficial. It can be a learning experience to to um, to see the different scenarios, the different dynamics, and try to apply that uh, to your own life 
or to to try to learn what you would do in that yeah. situation. Yeah. I think it's totally, a very good like, point. Yeah. Um, to that point, the previous seasons of The Walking Dead specifically that I have watched, uh, that's kind of what I liked about that was, you know, uh, it makes you imagine what what would I do? Like, say, if a, a man was going to try to kill my myself and my friends, you know, do it, would I would I kill that person or would I try to or would I try to subdue them? Like how, you know, do I? you know, what do I think about that and how would I act? And you start thinking kind of philosophically about that sort of scenario. That's, that's what I like about that. Mm. I think there's an added benefit where you have, you know, like a spouse or a friend to discuss about what you just saw, you know, and, you know, just discuss the whole thing, you know, what, what you mm-hmm. would do. What mm-hmm. would like. And, and also I was thinking that for people that, don't have a lot of discerning going on. <laughs> They're very consumed by mass media or etc. Um, there's an added benefit to watch movies that are generally, you know, classical on um, their positive dissociation, you know. Um, mm. Thinking, for example, like Charles Dickens, for example, you know, the BBC versions of Charles Dickens, they're all like invaluable, you know, they're they're great. It is not the kind of thing they said. Oh boy, let, let's go watch and Charles Dickens. You know, when there's like yeah. so much, but you know, it's something for if there is a person that is open-minded enough. Yeah, why don't you give it a try? You'll be surprised. You know how it can really touch your soul, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it, rather than being. You know, one, we can label this as positive dissociation, whereas this is negative dissociation. I mean, I think at the polls, you probably could have not too much trouble discerning it. But I think there's probably a gray middle area. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it has more to do with, like, how you actually are dealing with what you're dissociating with. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so, for instance, I think, like, you know, Pokemon Go, probably not positive dissociation. And I don't know that there is necessarily a way to positively dissociate with that i could be wrong about that maybe there is but uh, you know i think with with some of these things it probably has to do with kind of like how you are uh relating to the material i guess mm-hmm. um not necessarily you know if you're just kind of turning off your brain and turning on the evening news like mainstream media news then yeah that's probably not positive dissociation you're probably just getting filled up with a bunch of uh, lies and garbage whereas if you kind of were maybe more active in your viewing of it and more critical that that might be kind of a more um, beneficial way, like a positive dissociation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you know, I think about the Pokemon <clears throat> Go and maybe, you know, if somebody is like, you know, out there like a father and his son and they're kind of like, let's go catch some Pokemons and they go through like a bonding experience and stuff like that. Maybe, maybe that is a positive. Uh, and they get outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They get outside. Sunshine. You know? sure. <laughs> Well, it's like, um, I mean, I think you might be, or what might be connected to what you're saying is the idea of addiction, uh, and maybe yeah. not necessarily addiction is the right word, but obsession or um, something along those lines. Like, um, my example would be fishing. Uh, there's uh, most, of the, most of the time when I go fishing, I try to go after I've done everything, but there are times mm. where I screw off from obligations to go do it. And those times mm-hmm. I cannot get it out of my head and I don't actually enjoy the experience because I've got something else looming, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's a negative. It's the same activity. Everything is involved. The amount of time, you know, it's all the same, but it has a different context. 
So yeah. maybe positive and negative dissociation has to be put in perspective right. depending on your yeah. aim, you know? And also, yeah. you know, and also there is like a, an element of, there is an element of morality. Is it good or bad for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You it's have to like also a, take into consideration like that example you used of going fishing when you had other obligations. Like, are you using that? as a means to escape mm-hmm. your life yeah. and your obligations and things yeah. that you have to do. Then yeah. if you're not, then it's probably more on the positive end of the spectrum. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's, like it's a cross-emotion. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like if you have a deadline and you decide to binge watch Netflix instead of getting <laughs> your <laughs> yeah. work done. <laughs> yeah. But the reward when you do get your work done and then do something positive like that is uh, is great. You know, it's a great Reward is important. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with your level of knowledge, too. Like, if you watch certain movies or listen to particular types of music and you don't know that there are elements in society, certain pathological people who create certain things in order to polarize society and to give people their minds you know, to use that phrase and you go into it and, you know, none of your defenses are up. I think that that can be a bad thing because you're being influenced by lies and you come to accept those. Like people have a natural inclination to dissociate. People have imagination and pathological types can use that to their own benefit Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, make you do things or think about things or not think about things and the mm-hmm. way that they want you to. So if yeah. you go into whatever you're doing for entertainment, knowing that that's a possibility of happening, then at least you have some protection and you're more discerning because you know, like this type of thing, that's not really my scene. I'm not into that. So I might have watched it once, but I know that it's just not for me versus somebody who has no idea and they just keep watching it or engaging in whatever entertainment that they're engaged in. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, and it, um, understanding the uh, <clears throat> the context, like what you said, made me think of like lyrics mm-hmm. uh, to songs. There's a lot of songs that people listen to where they don't, they haven't looked into the lyrics. Yeah, um, yeah, they just like or, the beat. Yeah, yeah, it's a catchy tune, but yeah. yeah, I've had that experience a number of times where it's kind of like it's a catchy tune and I like it, and then I really start listening to the lyrics. And I'm like, well, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're torn. It's like, oh, what do I do now? Yeah. Like, it, <clears throat> this is a pointing example. So if I, it, bear with me for a second, but I read a short snippet of lyrics. Uh, uh, don't try to fight the feeling because the thought alone is killing me right now. Thank God for mom and dad for sticking through together because we don't know how. Uh, let's see. Uh, if what they say is nothing is forever, then what makes, then what makes uh, love the exception are we so in denial when we don't know we're not happy here? You don't want to hear me. You just want to dance. So it's like, that sounds like mm-hmm. sad, right? It's a sad song. That's, that's Hey Ya by Outkast. Yeah. The hey, hey <laughs> Ya. So it sounds like a happy tune, right? But it's actually really sad when you get into it. But that's, mm-hmm. a, <clears throat> everybody hears that song on the radio and they're bobbing their head, you know, but it's about a broken relationship. So I think it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but more on the extreme end of things, 
you have, I think, you know, like, and I don't want to just demonize rap because it's not, there's a lot of other genres that are involved in this, but let's just say violent lyrics, you know, violent mm-hmm. towards, you know, specifically women or other people, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, physically and emotionally violent language, you know, stuff like that. That's become very normalized. Um, so, and I really, I, I mean, I include like, uh, metal in that, uh, as well. And not just like hard, hardcore music on the hardcore side of things like, you know, say quote unquote gangster rap or like heavy metal, but also, um, a lot of emo music too. That's like, you might sound kind of innocuous, but it's really depressing. Yeah. And when you get into it, it's so, it's so over the line of being depressing that it's like, it becomes, anno- I think that's why people are annoyed by emos. Cause it's like, you need to get your shit together and just live normally. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, that's a huge thing. And I think there's a big subconscious influence there when we're listening to music or watching entertainment. Like um, slapstick in, in film and TV has gotten to the point now where somebody, you know, because with CG you can do so much that splattering a person with a piano on the sidewalk and having their blood spray in 20 feet in every direction is like slapstick now. Oh. You know, and people will laugh at that. And that, I think, is subconsciously very dangerous. Uh, and I totally can make me sound like a prude to young people, you know, but I think it is really dangerous because over time you don't realize the effect that that has on the way you see and approach the world around you. Well, the same could be said about cartoons that children watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, violent. for sure. Yeah, violent. Yeah. Well, one of our <clears throat> chatters said, what about music without lyrics? And I have noticed I don't listen much to the radio much anymore. My musical tastes are strictly grounded in the 70s and early. <laughs> but when Classic. I do go somewhere and there's songs playing like overhead, you notice it sounds all auto-tuned and atonal and maybe even some of the... It's like they're not even using real instruments. It's all like synthesized. Well, they're or, probably not. It's yeah. probably all pre-recorded individually, and then they just mix it together, right? Mm-hmm. And what was this about uh, the certain hertz that is mu- used in music nowadays that, that some of the more geeky people could probably understand or describe better than I can, but uh, music without lyrics, like the instrumentation itself, can have an effect on you. Oh, for sure. Mm. Yeah, the... Uh, it, Long story short, it comes down to the amount of uh, waves uh, per cycle. So if you if you have an even number <clears throat> of waves per cycle, it's more harmonious physically and mentally than it is if like the picture a sine wave and then like a set segment of time on that sine wave. And if the end of the segment is like a random spot on the wave, that's like discordant, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So. Same thing with like appliances. If you uh, you can measure the frequencies coming off like your refrigerator, and uh, it's very distant. If you translate it into sound, it sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a whole world around that. I, and then it comes into like what's the you know if you get into like the energy that's put into things like Wagner. Was a Wagner a Nazi? You know, so is is Wagner music like is that damaging in some way to listen to? because he was thinking about the master race while he was writing it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) It's a good question, actually. I don't know. Like, you know, it, it, 
you know, if it isn't lyrical and it's not easily kind of translatable into, um, you know, concrete concepts, you know, is, is there, is, is the intention behind it? I mean, who knows what Wagner's intention was behind it as well, you know, but mm-hmm. just the fact that he held those ideas, is that going to come across some way in that music? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Or like, um, oh man, I can't remember his name now. Shoot. Maybe it'll come to me. There's a, a, a famous painter in like the 1500s who is, you know, highly revered. It's really bugging me. I can't remember the name, but yeah, uh, I'd have to look it up. But in, in life, he was a he was a gangster, like a real gangster. Uh-huh. Like he murdered <laughs> a few people, uh, you know, and was like terrorizing the town. But one of the most brilliant artists in, known to history. So like, you know, yeah, there's there's all these uh, there's a lot of vocalists. Uh, well, I say a lot. There's a few vocalists that I'm aware of, you know, in that are very, very good singers, uh, you know, for different bands and stuff who are total jerks, like really, really bad people. R. Kelly. Everybody. R. <laughs> Kelly. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, extremely, extremely talented, but yeah, total scumbag. So I think we can agree that creativity and talent is not necessarily tied to good character. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. You know, it should be, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> but yeah, does that? <clears throat> uh, I mean, I don't listen to R. Kelly because I don't like his style of music. But right. I, it, for people that like that style, is it possible for them to listen to that and not kind of infuse his messed up values? You know. I think when songs are repetitive, though, it's almost impossible not to. You know, when they repeat mm. the same line over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Like I noticed that with teenagers that they they'll sing a song and they're not even aware of what they're actually saying. They're just repeating it. It's almost like a like a monkey, you know, over <laughs> and over. I don't know. Yeah, that makes where, sense. Where knowledge comes in, like if yeah. you had no idea that R. Kelly was a freaking child molester. <laughs> Some people do know, and they still well, I like his music. Anyway. I didn't know that. <laughs> but if you don't you know certain thought. things about the artists whose art you consume, then you just don't know and you go on consuming it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's like <clears throat> the, uh, the, I guess that plays into the idea of like taking money, you know, from tainted sources, but are you going to use it for good ends? Mm-hmm. Like taking, mm-hmm. taking money from the devil or robbing Peter to pay Paul, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess that ties into what I was saying earlier about pearls from the swine. You know, like there are cases where if you want to, you can pick out positive things from something that might be otherwise negative, or you can, uh, like Tiffany said, you can you can take the recognition of the negative aspects as a lesson in and of itself, mm-hmm. which is yeah. valuable. Now, if you keep doing it over and over, you're kind of asking for you know, <laughs> the consequences of that. Um, <laughs> But I think it's possible, yeah, to, to even take something like I sit down and watch a, a, a bullshit TV show for three episodes and then feel awful about how I just wasted, you know, two and a half hours of my life. Well, mm. the positive thing then to do would be to take that lesson, feel appropriately remorseful about it and not do it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? mm. Well, we have a question in the chat that um, somebody's asking, is music dissociative by definition? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. if you're learning that's to play why an it's instrument. so good. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, 
<laughs> it can take you to another place, especially music, like you were talking about classical music or just instrumental. It can take you to a different place, is daydreaming or mind wandering or, you know, um, provide calm. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're, especially if you have a high stress job or family life and just sitting down and listening to a piece of classical music can help calm your spirit or your mind. Is that a mm-hmm. bad thing? I don't know. I mean, I think that we all need moments of respite. Mm-hmm. And if music can yeah. assist in that. Yeah, there's but what about music yeah. that will send chills up your yeah. spine. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Or <laughs> <So>, down. <laughs> yeah. Or bring back memories, positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my point of, like, dissociation as a means to, to you know, um, touch, you know, other realms, you know, to reach other mm-hmm. realms. Mm-hmm. Literally, like, it can be literally like a different state of consciousness. This is why we have to be very mindful of what we're listening, you know. Yeah, and the and powers that be know that too. That's why it's so heavily manipulated. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you you hear the same things on the radio. Like I don't listen to the radio either, but you go into a public space, they play the same kind of top ten or whatever over and mm-hmm. over and over, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you get that little earworm, and you yeah. don't even want to be singing that song, but it's somehow yeah. stuck in that loop in your mind. I wonder though if music in and of itself is dissociative. Like, what about, medi- like, you know, if somebody is meditating with music on in the background? So meditation, I mean, the goal of meditation is to be very self-aware and to kind of, like, really present in the moment. So, I don't know. I, I mean, you're not necessarily tuning out the music to do that. But, so, I mean, I think maybe we, we have a tendency to dissociate towards music. But I don't know if it's necessarily 100% that, yes, music is dissociative. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's a really- tool. Yeah, I was gonna, totally. yeah, like a tool. Like it is the, our the capability to dissociate. It's more like ours, you know. Yeah, I think that's more the case. Is that it's more like a a, a, a neutral tool that doesn't this, can't necessarily be defined in that way. It's it's how it's used. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. use a hammer to build a house, or you can also use it to bash somebody's head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same yeah. thing with Good music. Point. <laughs> yeah. Then it's, it's got to be like impossible to dissociate when you know, when you're learning how to play an instrument. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems like that. It should sound like this. <laughs> and if it doesn't. Well, Doug, you brought up meditation. I think that's an interesting thing we could talk about because I would argue that that's uh, an inherent duality in meditation, it's that it's dissociative and associative at the same time. Hmm. Explain. Uh, <laughs> so that you have to, <laughs> that um, reality around you, like you have to get into a certain space. So you can't mm-hmm. just stop on the sidewalk and meditate necessarily. Somebody might tell me differently, but, you know, what I think of as meditation, you just sit down like in the middle of the street and do it. J.P. Sears <clears throat> says that's how you do it to get ultra spiritual. Okay. <laughs> so I agree that Showing it is my, that the goal of meditation is mindfulness. And when you're doing it, you are concentrating on being mindful, but you have to get away from reality in order to do that. Well, that's actually, my, since that's you mentioned, 
some Tibetan monks actually went to meditate to the cemetery to see how well mm-hmm. right, but that, that's part place, though. That's part, and that's part of the point that I was bringing up earlier is that those are Tibetan monks. They've dedicated their entire life to doing this. You know, it's like a different thing. It's like it's like saying that, yeah, my goal is to be mindful a hundred percent of the time, but I, you know, when's when is that going to happen, or do I think I'll ever reach that point? I have no idea. You know, I'm not like. That's why they call uh, it a like, practice. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes, you know, it could be a minute or two minutes maybe, and yeah. then the the mind starts taking over and essentially and disassociating a, for anyone who's tried meditation. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's a different path, right? I mean, there's like the ascetic, like A-S-C-E-T-I-C, ascetic path where, you know, a monk will withdraw from society in order to specifically do this thing. I think it's also possible to to pursue those kinds of goals in daily life, but you are hamstrung in a certain way because you do have to take the garbage out. You do have to check the mail or answer phone yeah, calls. But, it's, but that but could you know, be a meditation thing, too. That comes back. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, there's there are traditions where the whole idea is to kind of reach that state while you are doing what you need to do in your life. That exactly, it isn't about yeah. kind of taking yourself away from life in order to achieve this. But But... That, you know, you're here on this planet to kind of do things, even if that's just, you know, chop wood, carry water. But, yeah. you know, it's like you brought up Gurdjieff before. I mean, his whole concept of, like, self-remembering uh, and uh, self-awareness, it's kind of like that. that's what that is. It's kind of like yeah. um, having a level of self-awareness while you're in life. I, to- I totally agree. Uh, also, just to point out, I think, it, please correct me if, if I'm saying this incorrectly, but... Uh, that Gurdjieff said that only a limited number of people were able to do that. Well, yeah. And so I, that's why I'm saying like, you know, we, we can't necessarily expect everyone to have that goal in their life. I guess, I don't know. If I'm, I'm just talking about our listeners. Oh, sure. Well, you guys have straighten your shit up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe a good example is our favorite breathing and meditation program, Areolas. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to set aside time to do it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you don't have to, like, retire from life, be a Tibetan monk or anything, or go to the top of a mountain. You can just do it, and just by breathing uh, the specific rhythms in the program, and using the seat, which is uh, the prayer, you know, as a meditation, as an anchor for your awareness, mm-hmm. you know, that can help you discipline your monkey, you know your mind yeah, yeah. and be more aware at whatever level you are in your life you know it's specifically tailored for each people's lives you know? mm-hmm. and i think the seed is good too because it helps keep you anchored as you said so we all have that tendency to let our thoughts wander at least i do mm-hmm. and i find that the seed brings you back to your breathing, to your eyes clear your ears you know it's a, it's almost like a a, rem, a minder Again and again, when you mm-hmm. when the mind starts to wander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, for some people yeah. it's pretty difficult, you know. And the the seat anchor, but also body awareness while you breathe, it can be very helpful. I have to admit that, you know, for me even areolas has been difficult. Yes. And uh, I wanted to ask right at the beginning when you, Jonathan, you shared that you watch like lots of movies. I wanted to ask you, do you remember those movies? Can you like Not all the time. No, if I'm being honest, yeah, not all the time. Yeah, 
because you know I was reviewing my journal the the last couple of weeks, like my journal of ten years ago, and I had the that habit of listing you know the things I did for the day and the movies I watched. Just like yeah, <laughs> watch that movie. <laughs> what? I was dissociated, right? <laughs> Or you watch the movie and you realize halfway through it that you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> so that means you were dissociating while you were dissociating. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Pretty bad, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of movies that I've seen and books that I've read. Whose plots I cannot remember. I know that I saw them and I read them, but I can't remember details about them. Yeah. So where was yeah. I when yeah. I was reading it or watching the movie? Yeah, that's my question. Somewhere else. Yeah, yeah where do a- people go? Is there a specific place? Is it individual for every person? Is there, I don't know, what, what is that place? Well, I think that's imagination, right? Then if it, if imagination is also just a tool, it can either be good or bad or a spectrum in between mm-hmm. that you go to your imagination in your mind. It's like zoning out when you're driving, like we mentioned a couple of times. Like, I guess if you were to say, where are you when that happens? Well, you're in whatever space you created in your mind, whether it's a daydream or a, a place of worry or a place of hope where you're thinking about something that's not what you're doing at the moment. That's kind of where your mind goes. So if you were in that movie and you don't remember it, uh, you you weren't in a place of ingesting, like, I don't know, consciously ingesting the story. You were, like, inhabiting the story in your mind, and so you weren't connected. And so that might be a reason why you don't remember. Hmm. Yeah, well, it, it makes be, me could think, could be, oh, Go on. I was, was going to – sorry. I was just going to say um, if it's something that happened quite a long time ago – then it could be that your brain has sort of decided that a lot of the information was quite irrelevant and it's kind mm-hmm. of just discarded a lot of that. You know, like uh, I've been reading a book recently um, by a doctor called, I think his name's Matthew Walker, and it's called Why We Sleep. Um, and he's talking about, I don't want to go too off the subject, but he's talking about during sleep how um how essentially that's that's one of the functions is that the brain is essentially combing through all of the irrelevant pieces of information and sort of scrapping them and then you know form forming uh, or solidifying memories and things like that and and it you know if if you were to like you were talking about before um all of the information input that is coming into the system is is so overwhelming and so the the brain is only going to really um is only going to really want to pay attention to a small part of that um and then Mm. sort of get rid of the rest and so even for the majority of the people if you were to ask them what they did yesterday they probably wouldn't be able to tell you um yeah and that's not i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing um it uh, I'm not saying that it's a good thing, but I'm saying that it doesn't necessarily suggest that it is dissociation in and of itself. It may be just a mechanism whereby the brain is discarding useless information, you know? Yeah. I like so that's that just another perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, that makes- you know, I have to make space for the new. <laughs> yeah. As long as yeah. you don't use that as a reason to to not to try to be mindful. <laughs> right. Good point. <laughs> hmm. 
Yeah, but it can take all forms. I mean, it can, like we were saying too, it can be things that are otherwise seem totally innocuous or, or even beneficial. Um, there was a period of time where I was learning a lot about uh, agates, which are a semi-precious gemstone that come out of Lake Superior and other places in the northern U.S. And I mean, they're all over the world, but um, <clears throat> learning about those stones and how to identify them and stuff and going out to the beach and picking them, it was fun learning a new skill, you know. But then there were times where, because I have like sort of OCD tendencies, not really clinical, but definitely there, um, I would like leave work early to go out to the beach and look for stones, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's like starting to get into that thing where it's just all it is is something that I'm obsessed with and that gets in the way of obligations. It can be anything. It can be building a table in the shop, yeah. you know, or whatever. It kind of comes back to the whole like dopamine hit idea too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like some of these things that the people are dissociating on are really just like be, they're getting a dopamine hit out of it. I'm thinking of things like video games or, um, you know, social media. Social media, absolutely. Smartphones. Like those things are, they're kind of these little dissociation tools, right? Like it's like, oh, geez, um, awkward pause. How am I going to dissociate? Oh, I've got a phone in my pocket. Okay. And then kind of go into that and like, you know, get all those dopamine hits and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know exactly how I'm trying to relate these things here, but it's kind of like like dissociation. I wonder if it is related to kind of that that dopamine system, that reward system. Where it's kind of like, and maybe this comes into the whole idea that dissociation, um, maybe only negative dissociation, but it's kind of like um, a tool or what the how the brain deals with like uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. So it's like boredom or um, social awkwardness or something going on. It's kind of like I need to kind of my brain needs to uh, to kind of take a pause and not deal with this right now. Or waiting, waiting for results of yeah. something or. Mm. Yeah, sure. like yeah, the, the thing totally. that makes that negative, like say you have this fantasy where you're a, a rock star or a famous person or you won the lottery or something like that, and you spend a lot of time thinking about this, but in the end, it's just an escape from your own dreary life, and you're not really taking anything out of that. You're not learning anything. You're not applying any new knowledge in any ways that will make your life better. You're just leaving because you want to feel good, and mm-hmm. that's what makes it negative. Yeah. There's kind of an addictive quality to it, too. It's kind of like you might at first just be kind of checking your Facebook because you're bored or something like that, but then it kind of gets to the point where that dopamine hit is required, and it's kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, you know, it's it's like suddenly any time that you're not doing that is when you're uncomfortable, and it's kind of like an escape from not being on Facebook. Sure. So I guess the key then would be to somehow consciously integrate our apparent need for that into your own life and still be productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the key. Or learn to yeah. kind of assess when you're doing it negatively and when it's for the greater good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First, you have to know that you're doing it in the first place. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You need a name. Hypothetical. <laughs> you need a well, name. You need discernment. <laughs> I really like while we're on the topic of uh, Russian philosophers. Uh, another one, uh, uh, Marav- Boris Moraviev. Uh, mm. One of the things that he wrote about that was really impactful to me is uh, 
the idea of interseparation and how you can separate the observer from the subject. So <clears throat> most people think, and we're getting into a super deep thing, so I don't mean to take it too far, but um, most people think of themselves as being a cohesive whole, which they're not, mm. and neither am I, neither are you. Nobody is. Mm. Uh, so the idea then is in your daily life to, and the way I and, and a couple of my friends tended to frame it in, in such a way that we could talk about it was we call it the white coat. So it was like a, a scientist with a white coat on with a clipboard who is standing next to you throughout your life saying, it is now paying for the coffee. Uh, it is now getting in the car. It is turning the car on. You know, mm -hmm. And it sounds very clinical, but what happens after doing that for some time is then you're able to say, oh, it is dissociating. And your observer kicks in while the automatic part is doing something else. And that, mm -hmm. I think, is one of the keys into being able to do that. So that you can catch yourself, because most people don't, you know, can't catch themselves in those moments. Yeah, that's why you have crimes right. of passion. You know, they'll get yeah. people lose their lose their uh, focus. And it starts off where it's just kind of very quick, brief moments where it's kind of like coming to kind of uh, coming to yourself. I guess is a way of putting it. Where yeah. it's kind of like you realize, oh, okay, I'm I'm doing this right now. Um, and, but I think that with more practice, it kind of gets to the point where those, those moments end up being a little bit longer or maybe yeah. more frequent. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's like you said, Eric, it's a, it's a practice. Like it's not, uh, and I don't know that there's ever a final goal like, Oh, I'm a hundred percent self-aware all the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I won. I won it. <clears throat> maybe to bring it more down to earth, so to speak, you know? It's like um, seeing it from a cognitive perspective, like this is more like a top-down approach where you mm. like self-observe, you know, you use your cognitive resources to not be able to be controlled by, you know, this crazy monkey that is in your brain, so to speak. Mm. But perhaps, you know, not perhaps, it's like backed up by research, you know, and experience. People who live in a perpetual state of traumatic experience, like developmental mm. trauma, for example, um, they have a great difficulty using these cognitive resources. They're just like constantly, not only dissociated, just like completely broken down, so to speak. Mm. And uh, yeah. in these cases, there are other tools that can help, you know. For example, neurofeedback uh, has been very helpful for a lot of people. With developmental mm -hmm. trauma, so that's another interesting thing to bring in this dissociation topic, you know. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, should we talk? We had uh, <clears throat> spoken before the show that we should uh, bring up some some positive media that people can seek out. Do you guys have any yeah, recommendations on that? Dora the Explorer, mm. is that a good one? <laughs> <laughs> The Walking Dead. Yeah, The Walking Dead. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, like uh, Gabby said earlier, like the BBC series where they have like the classics. Mystery sure. Masterpiece right. Theater. Yeah. yeah. I like Poldark. Do you guys mm -hmm. ever watch Poldark? No. Oh, I've never, never heard, heard of it. <laughs> so it's yeah, one of the uh, or PBS, I think. PBS or BBC. Hmm. It's one of those. I think um, it's BBC. I was just going to yeah. say that's that's one of the only reasons that I actually uh, it makes me feel. Um, how can I say it? Uh, I feel I feel happy to be British <laughs> <laughs> because the B, because the BBC dramas. 
They yeah. are fantastic. Yeah. They are they absolutely are fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. It makes me yeah. really proud. Uh, that's <laughs> just about the only thing, other than tea, nice, a nice <laughs> cup of tea. That's the only thing that makes me proud to be British. You know, that's why I love chips. your. That's why I love your accent. You know, it's like it reminds me like the David Attenborough documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Planet. Well, you guys, you guys, the Brits have been writing stories for a lot longer than we have, so we've got that on lock. Yeah, so we got the There's, BBC. We have some classical literature. Yeah. Maybe classical we should mention music. a few of the titles. You know, one of mm. some of my favorites from the BBC. Um, Bleak House. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cranford. That's another great. One. Midsummer Maybe. Murders. Oh. Yeah, that was very cheesy, but <laughs> but if you want, yeah, but you try and figure out who the murderer is, and you just exactly. really don't know. That's good positive dissociation. <laughs> detective stories, you know, it's just mindless detective stories. But you yeah. you just go to bed like thinking, you know, resolving your life and everything. Resolving your life. I find that um, I tend towards uh, science fiction. Particularly mm-hmm. like hard science fiction, where it's like it's stuff that really makes you think, mm-hmm. makes yeah. you think about the implications of, uh, you know, whether it be of certain technologies or, because I think at its heart, like a lot of times these things are kind of moral questions, mm-hmm. even though they're mm-hmm. they're kind of based in kind of uh, more of a like a, a, well, it's not even necessarily just technology, but it's like it, it's like, I don't know, it, it's kind of just framed in this kind of sci-fi thing, but they can often be kind of more. Um, yeah, it has, moral. it has positive applications if it makes you think differently from these current, you know, three-dimensional world reality. But I think, mm-hmm. like, um, interrelationships, uh, in, you know, relationships, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it has, like, a more powerful message as a positive dissociation because it's all, it's mm-hmm. all dynamics that, you know, that make up, you know, makes up people, people people's lives, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not necessarily happy stories either. I mean, the one yeah. I'm thinking of is like Ex Machina, which was a movie mm-hmm. out uh, cool. a couple of years ago that yeah. was like really very powerful yeah. um, science fiction. And, you know, it, it had me thinking for a long time after watching that. Is this a like... robot, like, has to prove it's yes. uh, artificial? Int- oh, yeah, that was very yeah. Black, yeah. Black Mirror, I think, is, is quite redeeming. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, yeah. And uh, Electric Dreams, uh, we were talking about that before the show. It's on Amazon. It's uh, based on Philip K. Dick's series, uh, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" That one is really good. Mm. Uh, it's very similar to Black Mirror. It's like vignettes, um, but it makes you think about where we are <clears throat> in uh, history and culture and what we're doing, what we're doing wrong. You know, what could we do? Like one of my favorites from Electric Dreams is the uh, Autofac that humanity built to make everything more convenient for itself it's a it's a factory that makes everything right Mm -hmm. and it just it makes it and distributes it so humanity can just kind of live in and have everything made for itself well it uh the the world goes to goes to crap uh as a result and the autofact continues to deliver goods so at the point at which people get sick of it and try to shut it down it says the autofact must have consumers and so everybody else is going to die if you're not going to consume the goods that come out of the artifact. So <clears throat> uh, those kind of lessons I think are, are good, you know, to watch and think about yeah. and get involved in, in your mind. And how do I apply that to my life? Um, mm. the, the man in the high castle, I think is excellent. Absolutely. Mm. Excellent. Uh, it's an 
it's very well well written. The story itself, the original story is great, but the the show they did on Amazon, they nailed it. I think it's really good. It's historical hmm. fictions based. Long story short, what would happen if the Nazis won World War II, and then they took over America? So. Uh, the eastern United States, east of the Rockies, is uh, is the the Fourth Reich, and west of the Rockies is the the extension of the Japanese Empire, in this story. And mm. it's like, but it's modern. It's set in the 60s. So what are the 60s like if the United if America is ruled by the Germans and the Japanese? And um, and, uh, <clears throat> so you know, your Joe Blow police officer is wearing a Nazi armband. It's that kind of thing, and it's like. It, it takes you out of your current context and puts you in something else that makes you think about what your life is like. I think that's, you know, hmm. applicable in, in what you're saying about science fiction. That's why I also really like sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, that's the reason I really like it, too. also like dystopian sci-fi, like mm. dystopian yeah. futures, where you have to put yourself in the shoes of the main character and try to figure out like what would you do in that situation like i love that movie the road but it was mm, such a bleak yeah. and horrible mm-hmm. movie it but was. it really yeah. made you think or yeah. children of men that was yeah, another I love one movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah children of men yeah the end of the world movies um you know similar to the walking dead the, where the main characters kind of come across some um various scenarios which would probably never take place in a in a modern day world or as it is now but they they can they can allow you to sort of get to a place in your mind where you're um where you're trying to figure out okay how would i do that you know okay (laughs) in in an example say like if the if the floor just split into two and you had to jump across <laughs> but then you had to decide who you were going to save you know you had a baby in your hands or you had like your wife and your kids and you had to choose uh, I, I mean that's like uh, that's a funny example but you know what I'm saying totally. uh, yeah. no, I think I think it's a you can apply that the lessons from those kind of shows to stuff that actually exists in your life too it's like one thing from The Walking Dead that makes me think of the concept of trust you know, uh, how and why do I trust people? Do I or don't I, you know, and if I don't, is it legitimized or am I being paranoid? You know, and like think about those lessons and how to apply them. I think it's totally reasonable to take that kind of a lesson from a show, you know, Mm -hmm. or from some sort of a drama. Or Uh, like, how can I develop my knowledge so well that I can read people without having to know them for years and years and know whether they're trustworthy sure. or not. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I know I, I mentioned thought... this before the show too, but, oh, sorry, Gabby, what were you going to say? No, you go ahead. <laughs> oh, I would like to make an argument that uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy is a redeeming show. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> the new one. <clears throat> I wasn't in, uh, very familiar with the old one, but Netflix re-released queer eye for the straight guy but what it is is a group of five uh gay men who go around and they they make over straight men so it's gimmicky it is what you think it is <laughs> so they're like <laughs> nascar dudes you know who the guy who's been married to his wife for 30 years and they don't like there's no passion in their relationship anymore and that kind of thing um my argument for it is though it seems very campy i have discovered that at the end of the episodes i'm thinking about compassion understanding how to get and keep my life together, how to take care of myself 
how to present myself to the world and to the people I love. You know, um, am I giving back the investment that other people give to me? These are the things I find myself thinking about when the shows are done. So I'm like, I have to think about it, you know, being a positive influence, even though it seems dumb. So mm. that's my argument. And is that like was, a reality TV show? Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> so like the people, the you know, they pick the subjects and they pick them to be <laughs> interesting. Right. So like the NASCAR guy or the cop, uh, who's got a big gut and eats donuts all day and doesn't take care of himself. Um, <clears throat> and the funny part about it is it's the, the gay guys with people who are usually either really uptight or straight up homophobic and they just have to get over it to do this show. So like those kind of things I think are fun. But the lessons in the show, I think, are really interesting. So I don't need to belabor the point. I just thought it was kind of funny, and I. But mm-hmm. I do stand by it. I think if you, if you're, um, if you're not watching it because you think it's dumb, at least try one episode. Oh, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. How about books? <laughs> are there any recommendations? Well, it's like so. One episode was a guy. They so mostly the subjects are straight guys, but one was a gay man who was not out yet to his mom. And so in the episode, he came out to his mother and it was this really emotional moment. And she was like, son, I don't care. I love you. You know? And I was just like, this is great. (laughs) You know, but of course I'm positive. I'm not, I'm not associated. I'm dissociated, but I also, in retrospect, I can look in and see that the, the emotions were positive. The outcome was positive. You know, I thought now more about how I should be more compassionate and understanding of other people. That's my point. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just me. Maybe it's specific to how I ingest media. I don't know. Oh, Sounds maybe. like it's pushing a homosexualist <laughs> agenda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. But I haven't seen it. So, it's fun. Anyway, it was meant to be a joke, but I do think it's uh, that I would actually make that argument. Um, you mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier. I think that's one of the main, honestly, like one of the top ones talking about like archetypal redeeming stories. Mm-hmm. I think Lord of the Rings is right. Overcoming up. challenges. Yeah. The hero's journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's another lot. thing. Pretty much every story that's based on the hero's journey is, is redeeming in some way. Right. Cause that's the archetype yeah. of conquering yeah. adversity. That's why everybody loves superhero movies so much. Totally. <laughs> that's true. That's another one. I do, I do well. love me some. Yep, totally into it. The uh, what's the what's the Marvel, the show? Um, why why am I blanking on the name right now? Not Avengers, but um, Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield. Yeah, that is a great show. I love it. It's totally campy. I've never seen it. Oh man, you have hours of of wonderful association ahead of you. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, I do. Right. I do like me some superhero movies. So yeah, good. Daredevil, even uh, while violent, I thought was quite good. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I only saw the first season of it, but it was quite good. Yeah, yeah, it was violent though. That's yeah. Disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, extremely, <laughs> extremely violent. It's not. It, it's not going to be uh, everybody's piece of cake. No. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and that's a funny thing too. I mean, of course we could go on and on about this, but like the, the standards around media, you know, and censorship and how like 
for the longest time. Now I think it's beginning to change, but it was not okay to use certain language or to show certain body parts in a film, but you could kill as many people as you wanted. Mm, yeah. And there was a huge double standard there. And uh, now with the streaming services and the FCC is kind of losing its teeth, I think that that is becoming more normalized to where now you can actually get what the writer intended the story to be, whatever that might be. Mm. Um, That's, that's kind of the angle I approach it from whatever the content might be is it's is it the intended written story right yeah um, anyway south park <laughs> yeah. <The> Simpsons. <laughs> totally <clears throat> totally totally can make like a really lengthy academic argument for the the importance of south park yeah <laughs> but i won't get into no, that I right now <laughs> the social commentary is pretty excellent i have mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. yeah so and the fart jokes, also great. <laughs> yeah, also great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think we are coming up on our time. Should we go to um, Zoya's pet health segment for today, and then we'll we'll wrap up when we come back? Yeah, it's on That's animal cool. spies. Hello and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week's topic has to do with covert operations and espionage. And why not? When there is a poisoning scandal by Ruskis, and as they say, likely Putin himself is hot in the news right now. But since this segment deals with the more or less furry inhabitants of this planet, let us speculate that Putin isn't to blame for the poisoning per se, but perhaps it is one of his dogs. Who knows? Maybe Putin trained his Akita Inu to travel incognito to UK and then use his highly developed canine sense of smell to find Skripal and his daughter and then get close to them, wig his tail in a cute way and then release the neurogenic poison. What a deceit. Yeah, and if you think this scenario is ridiculous, listen to the following news report by RT where they discuss how various nations have been spending millions of dollars on programs to create animal spies. Have a great weekend, and don't forget to pay attention to the kitty next door. She may be a Kremlin bot. The Svidania. In recent weeks, we've seen more than one news story where animals became spies and criminals. A vulture was recently detained in Saudi Arabia and labeled as an Israeli spy because it was carrying a GPS transmitter from Tel Aviv University. Before that, Egyptian authorities had speculated that Israel put bloodthirsty sharks off the coast of Egypt in order to hurt tourism. And as outlandish and ridiculous as all these claims may sound, there is in fact a rich history globally of nations spending millions of dollars on programs to create animal spies, bombs, telephones, you name it. So we're going to take a look back at some of the most popular, most inhumane, and perhaps biggest wastes of money when it comes to turning our furry friends into military machines. Well, joining me from our studio in Los Angeles to discuss it is Cord Jefferson, culture editor at Good. Now, Cord, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it seems like these, these stories seem so crazy, but there really is a rich history here. I want to go through a few of them. Uh, let's start with this acoustic kitty story. Uh, apparently they spent $20 million on this. Can you tell me more? 
Yeah, Acoustic Kitty is one of my favorites. Um, it turns out that the CIA uh, during the Cold War era tried to uh, outfit a cat with uh, acoustic equipment to spy on the Russians. And uh, they did a lot of surgeries on it. They even installed an antenna in its tail, apparently. Um, and then during its first mission, uh, after spending about $20 million on the cat, during its first mission, which was supposed to take place at the Russian compound in Washington, D.C., the cat was promptly run over by a taxi cab and killed, uh, and it wasted all of the money. That's that's just horrible. I mean, these stories make me really yeah. sad. Um, another one I want to talk. This was apparently just it was introduced in 2006, and something they're still developing are bomb sniffing bees. Do we have any um, you know proof that these things can actually work? That they're better than dogs out in the field? Well, the, I mean, there is proof. There is proof that the bees can smell C4 explosives and dynamite and TNT and things things of that nature. Um, whether or not they, they could be used as as efficiently as dogs has yet to be seen. But I think that sort of they're they're just trying to pr promote this technology in any way possible and sort of see what animals are capable of. So while they haven't been able to yet harness the the power of bees to be able to uh, to, to 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 smell out. Uh, to smell out uh, dynamite and whatnot in, in sort of these kinds of situations, uh, the technology exists and, 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 and the science proves that it proves that it can work. Well, let's talk about um, something else that could sniff out, which is gerbils. Apparently, gerbils were used because they could smell uh, an increase in adrenaline if someone was getting a little nervous at the airport. Yeah, this is really fascinating. The, uh, the Canadian government actually discovered that ger gerbils could detect uh, rises in adrenaline in people's sweat. And so uh, Tel Aviv uh, in Israel, uh, they're constantly looking for ways to detect terrorism, as you know. And um, so the Tel Aviv airport um, actually started using gerbils in, uh, in, in locations around, in strategically placed locations around the, uh, around the airport uh, to smell uh, people's sweat and s detect if there was increases in adrenaline. Um, the problem with that was that uh, it turned out that the gerbils couldn't distinguish, of course, between a rise in a general, rises in adrenaline uh, because a person was a terrorist or rises in adrenaline because a person was just afraid of flying. So that idea was, uh, while kind of ingenious, it was also scrapped eventually. Well, I mean, I don't really think anybody, you know, you could be nervous for a variety of reasons. It's not like a human can necessarily yeah. instantly say who's a terrorist <laughs> and who just doesn't like to fly. But uh, here exactly. they are trying, trying with animals. I want to go on another one that was something we've actually covered on this show before, which is using killer dolphins to perhaps get spies in the water. And I know sea lions, I mean, we're still using this technology, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, actually, they did. There, there are dolphins patrolling a naval base off the coast of uh, Washington uh, State constantly, 24 hours a day. Um, the, the technology that they have with dolphins are, are actually—it's actually—I mean, speak of ingenious, it, it really is amazing. Um, dolphins are very smart; they're very fast, um, and so using them to patrol to patrol oceans and to patrol uh, to patrol the ocean around a, around a ship and, and also to patrol a naval base is actually pretty amazing and, and very feasible. Um, they've also trained sea lions. To cuff, uh, to cuff underwater spies' legs uh, with, with sort of leg cuffs to, uh, to prevent them from swimming if they detect uh, an intruder in the water. So um, these ones are a bit less inhumane than, than sort of uh, the, the, kinds that, the kinds in my article, like the, uh, the anti-tank dogs that, uh, that exploded to uh, destroy tanks in, in World War II. Um, these ones are actually pretty amazing where it's, uh, where it's kind of a symbiotic relationship where the dolphins are going to be swimming anyway. Uh, they're treated humanely by the U.S. government. And uh, as, as situations like the USS Coal uh, can show you where, uh, where, where terrorists were able to uh, uh, undetectedly uh, destroy, uh, destroy a U.S. Uh, ocean liner. Um, it, it can actually be very beneficial for our government as well. 
Now, I just wonder, you know, we have so many advances in technology today. Do you find it at all odd that we still try to rely on animals? Um, I, I think that I think that in some ways it, it is odd, but also uh, I think that the, there's so, there's some truth to the saying: if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And um, you know, dolphins are doing a great job right now of, of patrolling the ocean uh, for us, uh, better than any technology that we've been able to come up with. And so I think that asking them to do these jobs for us, um, as long as we treat them humanely and as long as sort of um, they they don't hate it, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I, I think that sort of once we have technologies that emerge that are able to do these jobs better, then let's. Uh, uh, let's let the dolphins go, but as, but as long as it goes now, uh, it, it isn't as primitive as it sounds. Well, definitely uh, very interesting. And there are, of course, a couple because you went over the eight strangest government programs. I didn't get to go over yeah. all of them, but uh, people can There's check out your, your piece <laughs> to get more of them. And, you know, I mean, it's still something that the government is doing. I don't know whether the killer sharks in Egypt really were uh, an Israeli spy, but. I'd, yeah, we'll I think move that's, a, that's a kind of a Thank you so shot. much for joining us. Thank you. Careful, the goats are spying on us. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah. No, that was fascinating. Thanks. I, I, uh, I found myself wondering if, um, so yeah, at the beginning, did they say it was a vulture that they declared an Israeli spy? Uh, or like a, a pigeon? I, I didn't catch what bird it was, but I, I thought it would be really funny if you could make a legal argument that the government had declared say vultures to be sentient because they had said that it was a spy and spy would have to have some sort of intent. I don't mm. know, it's just a funny thought. <laughs> but it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, uh, we, we got a new um, puppy in January and uh, have been raising and, and training her and uh, she's incredibly smart. I can see totally how a lot of this, you know, is possible. Um, I've never encountered personally some of the highly intelligent creatures like dolphins or elephants or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, when you come across a really smart dog where they seem like they actually understand English, it's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Anyway, <clears throat> that is our show for today. So, uh, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, go out and, uh, you know, watch out for what you're watching, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> watch yourself what you're watching <laughs> yeah keep keep an eye on your um on your awareness and your your presence whether or not you're you're here now everybody say the ram das thing to be here yeah. now right be here now yeah all right cool well we will be back uh next week so thanks to everybody in the chat we had a pretty busy chat today so that was cool um we will see you next friday Bye. 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 Bye.